Welcome back to Breaking the Fourth Wall, where we engage in stimulating conversations about ways that we can promote positive change in musical theater. Right now, everyone is graduating, which means there are so many folks out there that are entering into the professional world of musical theater, whether it be performers, creatives, directors, musical directors, choreographers, designers, stage managers, those that have all kinds of bachelor's degrees, certificates, associate's degrees, or even graduate degrees are heading into the workforce. And I wanted to discuss, are we preparing these folks to enter into the professional world? What can we do to further prepare them for the realities of working in this industry? And what ways can we move forward with resources, classes, and workshops that can really be incorporated into their training so that they feel like not only are they prepared for the work that they are going to do, but prepared for the lifestyle that we all have to navigate? And I also want to talk about our all of these folks prepared to meet the rigors of the new world of theater that we are all emerging out of uh, post-pandemic. So I want to get into this and I'm excited to talk about it. But before we do, let's get to our puzzler this week. Tim, what do you have for us? Okay. This week's puzzler. What animal replaced Dorothy's dog in the 1903 production of The Wizard of Oz, which was staged by Julian Mitchell? This is a good one. <laughs> I this thought one, so. <laughs> this one is really, really funny. And I have some really good inside little tips about this and things that happen. So I'm excited to talk about this. Absolutely. We'll circle back at the end of this episode and we will talk about this puzzle together. Let's start with talking about, are we having the conversations in these programs, whether it's the college level, the community college level, um, any training level that folks are having about the realities of making that transition. Do you think that's happening right now? And if not, what can we do to further move that forward? I think it depends on the program. And I also think it depends on who's running the program and where they're placing the importance about the realities of the business. I know some programs where I've talked to students who have come out and said, I had no idea of how to do this or how to market myself or how to self-promote or how to even navigate moving to a major city. Whereas I ha I, I, I've, I've done interviews and I've actually talked to colleagues who have immersive programs where students will spend their last year of college actually living and, and working as close to as possible, a professional actor. So I think it depends on the program, but as a collective, I think it's imperative that we, that all programs prepare our students for the rigors of what's to come in the business. The question is, uh, my, that I have is what is going into the actual preparation for the industry? What, what profound conversations are actually happening? Or are we, are we just painting a, a nice picture uh, for the students uh, that graduate and say, here's your diploma. Are you ready? Go for it. You know, <laughs> holler at me if you need something. Yeah, it's, like, it's that rosy picture mm -hmm. of, oh, you, you have your degree or your associates or your certificate or your training. Go into the world. You're going to be magical and dreams are going to come true. And then you go to whatever part of the world you want to work in mm -hmm. and you realize that it is much, there's a lot of things that you didn't know that you wish you had learned. 
Um, I want to ask first, because I, I think much of what we can help and offer value in is our personal experience. Right. And I also just want to say that no program is perfect and everybody's experience is going to be completely different. And every curriculum is different. And so, mm -hmm. you know, how, how different programs choose to immerse their students into that bridge, bridging that gap to professional work is going to be, is going to vary d depending on region, depending on, uh, culture and mission. That's why I always say when I work with a lot of people that are trying to get into graduate school, that you want to make sure that it's a program that is right for you. A program that is right for you is going to be not right for the next person. Mm -hmm. You know, I just had one student actually that um, graduated from UCI that just announced she got into the grad program at Essex mm -hmm. in um, in in um, the UK. In the UK, and we had spent some time talking about what program was right for her. And she had looked at a couple programs, which I won't say what they they are. They're great programs, but they didn't end up being what was right for her. And I kept asking her, "What program do you want? What are you looking for?" And she thought she would never get into this program, and she went for it and got it, and it's what she wants. Mm -hmm. So every program is different. You just have to find the one that is right for you. And we so, know, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. For go ahead. I we both you and I we advise a tremendous amount of young performers about um, who wanting to, who are wanting to go to four year programs or two year programs or just theater, study theater musical theater in some way shape or form. Um, we advise them a lot, and we we always kind of inform them to ask questions of the programs, important questions. And one of those important questions is. What is the nature of the transition between the academic environment and the professional arena? What are what is what is the program doing to prepare them for making that step into it? Um, and I think that's an important question that every young person should ask, or any person should ask, when they are trying to navigate selecting a program to train in, whether it's at a studio, whether it's at a four-year or two-year program. One of the fundamental questions is: What are you gonna? What steps? In the curriculum, in the culture of the program, are the faculty and the administration taking to ensure that we are guided into the professional arena? I'm going to write that down on our podcast list of topics right now of, <laughs> of things that you should think about when you're looking for programs. So I'm going to write that down because that's mm -hmm. what we have, I think we have a lot of knowledge to offer on that. Oh, yeah. So I want to ask you, Tim, what did you not get out of your undergraduate or graduate programs that you wish you had received about transitioning into the the professional world? And by professional world, I mean non-union, union, anything that is going to allow you to do what you learned in college. It's a great question. I want to reframe it just a little bit because the world of musical theater training 20 plus years ago uh, was very different than the world is now. So trying to, I think, equate them uh, as far as preparation for the industry are two very different things because we were using black and white headshots back then. And, you know, <laughs> and not to mention we had AOL online. We didn't have the internet as we know it today and social media. So, so the world is a very different place. But um, things that I would have really appreciated, I think, um, was having an actual seminar class, a class or, or a semester or two semesters where the conversations were geared around callback technique, how to submit, what's the process of securing representation, if that's something that you know someone desires having, um, what is it like, the rigors of actually picking up, packing up your bags and moving to the city. Um, what is an EPA? What is it? What is an equity chorus call? What is a not, you know, what are contracts? How do you negotiate? How do you talk to producers? Um, how do you function in, uh, how, what is the culture of an equity rehearsal like? 
we never had these conversations because I think a lot of at our time uh, when I was coming up, a lot of the focus was train, 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 get the technique in your body. That's our job. That is our number one job. And yes, for the most part, that is, you know, you're going to spend four years, technique, technique, training, training, training. But at some point that conversation has to transition into, we've given you all the knowledge and the technique. Now we need to teach you how to apply that technique into the professional arena. And that's something I didn't think necessarily that I received and no, no fault on any of the faculty or the programs that I trained in because, um, because I received some fantastic training, but I think that's something that every program should be striving towards, at least in the final year, final stages of a young person's training is the acclimation, getting them adjusted to professional life. Absolutely. And what have you created in your program to fill what you didn't get to learn from that? What have you created to fit in that space? So we have a class that I wrote called Auditioning for Musical Theater. And it's not just literally, it is, yes, part of that component is a, uh, a workshop on callback technique and, you know, rounding out your book, getting, getting all the nuts and bolts of your actual audition prepared. But we, more importantly, we go into profound dialogue about the business and what expectations are self-promotion, social media, websites, headshots, resumes, all about those things that are so important, your actual physical package. But then we talk about the mental toll, the emotional toll that, you know, the grind has on us and being realistic, not setting up false expectations for our young performers that are going into the arena, making sure that they know that they are entering a very, very tough business. And it's an unforgiving and unrelentless business. And I think we are not doing a service to our students if we don't talk about those things in a safe, in a safe environment where they know that they can ask as many questions as possible. Because the last thing I would ever want is for one of my students to walk out of our program saying, why didn't you teach me this? Why didn't you tell me about how to negotiate a contract that I can actually negotiate a gas stipend or housing uh, if I live out of state that, that, or that, um, that I can inquire about whether this company is offering equity points or, you know, th those, those kind of things that we never really have the time to talk about. This class does that. And I think it's been really great because we usually bring uh, somebody that's in the industry, like, like has two feet really in the industry in different capacities to teach the class as well. One thing that I was really grateful for in my graduate program because um, graduate programs are much different than undergraduate programs, mm -hmm. right? And certificate programs, because you're you're talking about a different way of training folks to enter a different part of the world. Well, yeah, and and sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but no, I was no. just going to say uh, to jump on that. Some graduate programs are designed to teach you how to be an educator. Some are designed are performance based, and we both came up through very different programs. Absolutely, and my program, I feel like, was slightly more based on the entering the educational world mm -hmm. and yours was more focused on the performing world. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there was a teaching component like we actually taught, but we were exposed to a myriad of different styles of performance, which I'm very grateful for. One thing that I found very helpful in my graduate program is at the time I didn't enjoy it as much. <laughs> But we were presenting four-hour lectures, mm -hmm. you know, I remember weekly. you writing those lectures until uh, two in the morning. Yeah, four-hour lectures, and we had to give presentations, and we had to do 
these portfolio performances where we also talked about the history of the song and the creative team and what the, what it is about. And we did these so many times that I, it was completely exhaustion in those mm -hmm. years in graduate school. But now I feel like that is what has made me such an amazing educator mm -hmm. because I had that experience. We were also, we had to teach classes. We had to teach, you know, acting classes and, and, and musical theater dance classes and voice lab classes. And we were just kind of thrown in there. And I remember thinking, I am not prepared for this, but it was such a safe space. Mm -hmm because we were experiencing it in real time and we could learn from all of those, you know, steps or things that we didn't learn and ask about it. But one thing I feel like grad programs leave out is that transition. What do I do after I leave graduate school? How do I get a job? How do I support myself? How do I how do I apply <laughs> for professor faculty adjunct positions? Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many people I've coached that have have been asked to submit or want to submit for a job at the college level and they're like i don't I, what cv is that is that my resume my acting resume what what is that i need uh, i need i need a portfolio of my work i need you know a teaching statement i need a, a statement of diversity i need a, a, a cover letter what do i do <laughs> well and and both you and i have coached uh folks who have come out of MFA programs in various capacities. I know you've coached people with MFAs in, in dance and acting, and and I've coached people with MFAs in acting and music direction. And it seems to be the common denominator is that very thing you just mentioned, which is nobody ever talked about this in my program. And now mm -hmm. I have a degree and I know I can get employed at a four-year or a two-year program, uh, at least uh, as an adjunct to make, you know, to make some, some good money, but I don't know how to actually submit for the job. Yeah. And so we find ourselves having to walk them through every step of it. Yes. We need to create a course about that. We will add that to the list of online courses to create because it's not even just about in your undergrad learning how to create a resume and headshot. Okay. That's like the basics. It's then how do you create all of these other materials yeah. that you need? So for graduate programs, I think something extremely important is to help folks figure out what do I need to have to apply for the jobs that I want? Mm -hmm. Maybe that's in academia, but that could also be in the professional world at a, at a higher level. Mm -hmm. What do I need to have? How do I prepare it? And can we go through and edit it? Can we go through and make sure that it is the best level? Because that takes a couple of drafts. It's not like just your acting resume. Same thing for um, directors. What kind of work do you need to submit for directing positions you know do you have a reel do you have a website you did so such amount of work on your directing page on your website it's it's amazing it looks so wonderful what did you do well i just i set it up to where you could easily navigate each show so you could click on the show open up the show you had access to video images uh who the creative team was the actual thumbnail of the poster every every uh call to action that you would click for each show had its own page basically that had a whole spread of everything so you could learn about the entire history of that show that from conception all the way to production um i, I also want to mention that a director's resume a choreographer's resume an actor's resume and an educator's resume are fundamentally different beasts all together and it's imperative that we all learn how to structure those because at some point 
if you are graduating from an FA program in either acting or directing or even music direction or choreography, you're going to dip into various other categories. And I think it's imperative that you are taught how to formulate all those different types of either CV or theatrical resumes. And, and oftentimes that's left out of the equation. Same thing with designers. Mm-hmm. State, I have a lot of folks graduating with their MFA um, from UCI this semester costume design, stage management, lighting design, um, scenic design, music directing. And a lot of times it's hard to make that jump. So I think that would be such a valuable part to have the experience, not just doing what you do, but to also knowing how to transition into that next part of your career. And that is different for everyone. And having the insight to know what people on the other side of the table per se are looking for. And understanding in that in that regard, what the screening process is for seeking employment. You know, um, what are the things that you can put highlight that are going to make you stand out just a little bit more than someone else. Now, what about other workshops, classes, seminars, or resources? Do you think are needed in the undergraduate world for folks in musical theater? I think getting uh, getting performers in the later part of their training, access to uh, dialogue with casting directors and represent, uh, representation coming to the universities or the institutions to get that face time with them because it is so hard. It's that weird catch-22 when you're trying to seek out representation, but if you have some face time and, and faculty are able to bring them to campus to do master classes and workshops about bridging that gap, uh, I think that's really important. Um, Obviously, senior showcases are, are a common thing. You know, in the age of d- digital senior showcases now, the, the product is so different than it was even just a couple of years ago. Um, I think that's another major component to help uh, bring some presence to young performers' uh, digital portfolio. Uh, Master classes with, with talent that's in the industry in various capacities, not just actors, but um, a myriad of different areas. Uh, getting them to the campuses, getting them to to talk about the realities of the business, I think is really important. One really important element that we have learned is that we can bring people in from all over the world to share their experience. Mm-hmm. Folks in the UK, folks in other countries that are doing different types of work, you can jump on a Zoom session with them in your class and have them offer some insight that they may not get from someone in the States. They may be able to find out what is, what's it like in Canada? Mm-hmm. You know, is it something I want to be interested in? You know, is it something interesting? Do I, you know, want to go work in, in Spain? What is happening in other parts of the world um, that they may not know about and that the faculty may not have experience in? And that's something I think is really important in influencing your students from many different perspectives. Mm-hmm. I think the more, I th- yeah, I think the more diverse the perspectives that you can bring into the room via di- virtual space or physical space, uh, the better. The better informed students are going to be moving forward. And we, as faculty and as mentors and as teachers and educators and coaches, have to be understanding that we don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. We don't have all the perspectives, and this student may not be focused on the experience I have. And so how can I bring in someone else, even if it's a 30-minute Q&A on Zoom, how can I bring someone else in to give them some insight that I don't have? 
how can I bring someone else in that is not, you know, is not from my background Mm -hmm. that represents a different type of career or a different type of perspective or lived experience that to me showcases your commitment to your students to, to show up, to say, Hey, I don't have all the answers, but I'm going to bring in some other folks that do, that can offer a different perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's the only way that the students are going to truly profoundly appreciate the, the broad spectrum of education that they're getting when they're coming up is to know that their mentors, their faculty have their best interests at heart and want to make sure that they are as best prepared as possible to enter the arena. Let's wrap it back around to the puzzler question. You want to repeat it again and let's talk about <laughs> this sure, one? Yeah. So the puzzler for this week is what animal replaced Dorothy's dog in the 1903 production of the wizard of Oz, which was staged by Julian Mitchell. And the answer is her faithful cow Imogene. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you have a little bit of information about this. Do you want to talk a little bit about it? Yes. So this 1903 production that had 293 performances, it was based on, you know, the, the book about the Wizard of Oz, but they were concerned that the dog would be hard to see from the balcony. So they had two men in a cow suit play it as a cow instead because <laughs> the cow is bigger. <laughs> and there's a picture too, an old black and white that, that, that I use for my lectures in MT history. I will I turn all these episodes into blog posts with additional resources, information, and some really fun photos and videos on my website, ashleyesmos.com. You can check them out there. This so is really white, black and white. So Milky White from Into the Woods was not the first cow ever portrayed <laughs> by a person. We go all the way back to 1903. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think that was so, such an interesting thing. And we talked about it um, the last time I taught this class a year or so ago. And the students were like, what? There's some pictures I'll put in the blog post as well, about it as well. But there you go. I mean, don't use something different that's going to work for your directing, you know, production and concept. So it can be, it can be seen. I don't know. Why not? <laughs> All right. Have a wonderful week, everyone. Mm-hmm.